Ephesians 2, 3 through 5. All of us... All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's good news for us today. For those who are uh, just now joining us, uh, welcome. We're glad that you get to be a part uh, of the uh, second half of our series in the book of Jonah. We've been here uh, for a couple of weeks. It's the third. We have one more week. And in retrospect, we, we feel like we should have been here six or eight weeks because we enjoy it so much. Uh, there's so much to be gleaned from, uh, from this little book uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. So I hope that you will turn with us as we look at, look at the scriptures there and as we tell the story of Jonah. Uh, for our visitors, I'll also let you know there are Bibles in the back. If you like, need a Bible for our service today, if you'd like to take one home, uh, give to uh, a friend, use it for your own uh, needs at home and your own Bible study. We'd love for you to, to encourage that, uh, and that can be a gift to us, to you. I'm just glad that you're with us worshiping this day. The first half of the book of Jonah, and of you are pretty familiar with the story. God calls his prophet, presumably he is in Jerusalem, and it's an odd story, isn't it? Because God calls his prophet, whom he's used before, to go to the people of Nineveh. And Nineveh is a hated place. Uh, they are enemies of God's people. And as you know, Jonah then goes down to Joppa. And from Joppa, instead of him going northeast to Nineveh, he goes west to Tarshish. He set sail for Tarshish. Now, this is not just a sh this is not an easy journey. He's going to have to go across the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea, to get where he's going. It's going to be a long trip. But the, there's a, a great deal better uh, beaches in Spain <laughs> than there are in Tarshish. And so, as he is fleeing the presence of the Lord... As Justin pointed out, that's a dangerous place to be. As he flees the presence of the Lord, God sends a great wind and a storm brews. And we find Jonah, he's uh, asleep in the bottom of the boat. And the sailors are wondering what's going on and they know that this kind of this kind of wind, this kind of tempest, this kind of storm only comes from the divine. And so they're trying to figure out whose God is responsible for this. And the, the lot falls on Jonah. And so they wake up Jonah and he, he says, it's me. And they say, and he says, throw me into the sea. And don't you love this picture? Because Jonah, who has no mercy for the children, for the people of Nineveh, finds mercy with these sailors. They'll do anything they can 
In order to keep Jonah safe, they'll throw everything off board. They'll, they'll, they rode and they rode as hard as they could row. And they still couldn't find safety. And the only safety would be if this man were thrown off the boat. And they would do anything they could to save Jonah. Although it's his fault. And finally Jonah's like, just throw me overboard. Because really Jonah would rather die then show mercy to the children of Nineveh. Mm. And so they finally obey Jonah and throw him overboard. And this is going to be the end, as, as Justin preached a couple of weeks ago, this, uh, last week. This was going to be the end. But God. but God, right? But God sends a great fish to swallow him up, and the fish is God's salvation Hallelujah. for Jonah. Takes him down to the bottom of the ocean. You can't get any lower <laughs> than Jonah is. Some of you may have been there. Yes, sir. And it takes Jonah going low before he can look up. And so he looks up. And God saves him from that place three days in the depths. The whale doesn't spit Jonah up. <laughs> he vomits him up. There's a greater word, isn't it? So Jonah's there in the midst of his mess. But he's been saved by a God who has great mercy, even for prophets who run away. And that's where we pick up the story today. Jonah has been vomited up on the seashore. And presumably he, he goes home. After all, what does he have to take on a journey to Nineveh? And sometime later, we reach chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Then the word came to Jonah the... Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the... Amen. It took y'all three. I'm just saying. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So, Justin touched on Nineveh uh, week one. That Nineveh was uh, a great city. It, it was an imposing city, and it was a city known for all kinds of violence. You can tell a lot about a city by the gods they worship. You can tell a lot about a people by the God they worship. You see, gods are only things that we have invented, right? Where the uh, created worship the creation rather than the creator. And so it's a natural response across cultures around the world, a universal kind of response that as we look at the world around us, we try to interpret what this world is about to answer those unanswerable questions. So in part, we form our own gods to, in order to understand these big questions that we have no real understanding about. Yes, 
And we also create gods that, well, look kind of like us. That, that answer the kind of the yearnings inside of us that give us permission to do the things that we want. We create idols in our own image. So you can tell a lot by a city by the images that they create. And so in the city of Nineveh, the chief god is a goddess. Her name is Ishtar. Not, not the bad movie from the 80s. Uh, Ishtar is a goddess. Initially, she's a goddess of war and fertility. When... Uh, when Wendy and I are watching a movie, usually a, a romantic movie or something, a romantic comedy or something, the guy will say something and then a girl will say something. And oftentimes after the girl says something, Wendy says, a guy wrote that. Have you ever had that experience before? No. Uh, a woman wouldn't say that. Some guy wrote this. That's not how they would respond. This goddess, Ishtar, was the goddess of violence and sexuality. Nineveh was situated on the Euphrates River, and so it was a chief trade route. And so you would have sailors going here and there, and they would love to stop in Nineveh because in the worship at the temple, women would, in worship, give themselves up to the goddess and to any man that was there. A man wrote this god. Britannica says of the uh, goddess Ishtar, she was young, beautiful, and impulsive, never as a helpmate or a mother. Gods in our own images, things that we love and lust after. This was the life of violence and sexuality that was not just tried to work against by the religious, but embraced by the most religious. It is the way of the world in the mind of the Ninevites. It's, it's a good Ninevite, a good Assyrian, participates in all of these things to be the cruelest and the most promiscuous. This is called good in Nineveh. So when Jonah gets the call to go and preach to Nineveh, knowing that as, Jonah, as Justin pointed out, that he's already preached to another king, a, a, a worthless king, and God has had mercy on him, he's afraid that if he goes back to, if he goes to Nineveh, that God would in some way help these worthless people in Nineveh. And so God takes him through all kinds of trials and struggles. Finally vomits him up on the seashore only to call him again, a second time, to go to Nineveh. My question for us today is, why does God have this kind of mysterious mercy? God has a mysterious kind of mercy why does he show mercy to godless Ninevites? 
I mean, people who just aren't lukewarm towards him, but are in opposition to everything that, the, that Yahweh stands for. Why would, he, they, why would he give mercy to those kinds of people? Why would God use a prophet? Why does God use people to share this message? Messed up people. Why does he use faithless prophets, disobedient prophets, to give a message of salvation of the people. Why would he use, when he can do anything he wants, why does he use people like Jonah? Why does he use a message? Why does he use even the spoken word? I mean, he can make, he can make donkeys talk, right? Why does he use language? Why does he, why doesn't he just... This is, this is a, a curious thing, the mystery of God's mercy. God does things in a way that maybe you and I would not have done them. He shows mercy to those. We learned this word this week when we were speaking at Faith Mission, that God is magnanimous. Magnanimous comes from the Latin word magnus, which means great and grand. And our second word means soul or spirit, that God is a great spirit. To be magnanimous is to give grace and mercy to your rival, to your, the person that you are fighting against, to show them mercy and grace, to care for those who cannot repay and are lesser. God is magnanimous. Hallelujah. Thank you. Even the Ninevites. And so for you today, many of you are servants of the Lord. Many of you are servants of the Lord. And you come to this place today with a recent history of disobedience, unfaithfulness. Last night, maybe it was earlier in the week, you come to this place today and you are especially not feeling so clean and so good, so honest. And I want to tell you, because you have that feeling, I would believe that God is actually inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Because people who don't care about the things of God, they don't feel too guilty about those kinds of things. But Jesus is alive in you and the call comes to you for a second time. Go to Nineveh. I'm not done with you, Jonah. I'm not done with you, servant of God. This is not the end. I still have plans for you. That's good news, church. Why would God still use a Jonah? And why would he still use you and me given last week and the week before? Why would he do that? Because he is a God of mercy and grace. He is magnanimous. He gives greatly to us. I hope that warmed your spirit because it needs to warm your spirit because that's the God we serve. And those are his words to you today. It's, no, it's not by accident that he, he, put, he penned the story of Jonah. It's a mystery why he would do a crazy story like this, but maybe it's not such a mystery now because it reminds us that he comes again to his prophet and he says, go to Nineveh. Here's a, here's a great, listen to this. What does he do? This time he goes. He goes. He 
there's hope for all of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Poor Jonah, he's just on display. I mean, this could be any of us. And he finally goes to this city, this detestable city, who has gods that look like their people, who are violent and promiscuous. It's a dangerous, dark place that Jonah goes. Verse 4. He went to Nineveh. And Jonah began to go into the city. Uh, oh, I'm going I'm to share one other thing. In verse 3, it says, So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. There's lots of ideas as to what it means to be three days' journey in breadth. But when it says that, that it's a, an exceedingly great city. Earlier you saw that Nineveh is called a great city. We see in chapter 1 it's called a great city, an exceedingly great city. And this word actually in the Hebrew has a, like a little, has a little phrase that go with it. It says, Lo Elohim. Elohim. Lo Elohim. And you know that word, don't you? Elohim is a Hebrew word for God. Lo means, lo means to, to God. This was a city to God. And so... Don't know exactly what it's meaning by that. We see this several times throughout the Old Testament. But in part it could be understood that it is saying that it is like even in God's eye, this is a big city, this is a big thing. But I, I want to encourage you that, that uh, his pro, the, the, the writer of Jonah is, is throwing out this little phrase to remind you that this city is important to God. Is it important to God because he sees it and goes, wow, that's going to be a lot for me to do? That I'm, I'm afraid or some way? No. To God, mysteriously, this city of all cities is important. That's a mystery of God. Why would he choose such a city as this? Because God is gracious and merciful. And to him, that's a lot of people. And he wants to have mercy on them. So that city is important to God. And what's important to God? should be important to us. Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, a day's journey, and he calls out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So y'all have been in the church a while and many of you have probably wished that some of our sermons were that length. Five words long. That's his message. That's the big word. No explanation, no interpretation, no commentaries. I just want to tell you in five words or less that in 40 days you will be destroyed. Nineveh shall be overthrown. God's message. You see, God uses mysteriously, I don't know exactly why, he uses the messenger, and he uses a message to turn people's hearts. The preaching of the word is important. It is important from the pulpit, and it's important from where you sit and it's where you live, the people that you encounter. It is important to preach the word, to tell the truth. And the truth is, in yet 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That there is a God who judges and sees what we are doing. He doesn't just stand back and just let it all happen. There is going to be real judgment for those who choose not to follow after God. 
And maybe there's someone here today, too, who hasn't followed after God. And the truth is, there is coming a day, and it will come much sooner than you imagine. And your life will be overthrown, and it will be the end, and there will be judgment. But I believe that you are here today because he wants to show you mercy. He's preaching this word to you today. Are you all ready for it to even get better? This word in Hebrew, to be overthrown, is a little bit ambiguous. It really has two meanings. I'm going to throw you for a loop here. It means overthrown, destroyed, but it also can mean, as you listen to it in Hebrew, it means a change of heart. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So when you are sitting there listening to the message in Hebrew, as they, you hear this Semitic language and the people there in Nineveh hear the message, they are hearing, God is going to destroy you in 40 days. There could be a change of heart. There could be a change of heart. It could be your heart or his heart, but there could be a change of heart. In 40 days, you will be destroyed, but there could be a change of heart. Woo! Isn't that good? You see, because God's kindness leads us to repentance. Because if, we hear, if you're here today and you hear that message that God is going to judge you because you are evil, he's going to judge all of us because we are all like the Ninevites. We've made up our own kind of images. We worship our own things. We go our own way. We are due the wrath of God. We are just like these people. And God is going to destroy. You are going to see the wrath of God. But there could be a change of heart. There could be a change of heart. The message of God. Short, powerful. I want you to see the, uh, the manner, the, the method of God's mercy. Two seems somewhat mysterious. The people hear this in verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. I wouldn't guess that, would you? Like, some guy walks up, preaches a little sermon, and we're kind of expecting them to maybe run him out of town. But all the people believe. This foreigner, they believe this little guy, he's probably pretty bleached white. But they believe this guy. They believe the God of this guy. And they, put, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The, the response is the people say, oh no, we are in trouble. God has moved in their hearts as a whole. The mystery of God's mercy that he would do that. And their response is to to, to humble themselves, to be fearful of the judgment of God. 
and maybe just a little bit hopeful. And they humble themselves. They realize before this God that they have done evil and they are in need of a change. And what they have done displeases them and they are about to receive punishment that is due them. Do you believe today? Yes. And then something else crazy happens. The word reached the king of Nineveh. This is happening very quickly. This is probably one or two days tops. And he arose from his throne and said, kill this man. No, he removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through all of Nineveh. And he says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let the man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone... Turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. The king says, listen, what we have done is wrong. I'm going to turn, we need to turn from our ways, humble ourselves, call out to our God. As you hear this message, as you hear God's judgment, the response that the people of God have is to say, I'm guilty. I'm humbled by these words. Call out to God, God save me. And turn from our evil ways. I can't do that anymore. I'm following after him. That's, that's salvation right there. That's placing our faith in God. That's what faith looks like. That is the, the part of us receiving this mercy. God has sent a message of mercy to these people and for them to receive it, they humble themselves, they believe, they humble themselves, they cry out to God, and they turn from their ways. It's a beautiful picture of what it means when we say you must have faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we're talking about. This is the attitude of those who have faith. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And so God then, oh, the last thing the king says, who knows? God may relent and turn from his fierce anger and we may not perish. It's a wing and a prayer, isn't it? Like, I don't, what else are we going to do? We might as well turn after God because we are going to be damned for destruction otherwise. And they do it. The Ninevites at least have sense, right? By the mercy of God. And so they turned to God. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Like Amazing that. grace. Woo! And the people rejoiced, but not Jonah. Oh, that's sorry, that's next week. <laughs> Why would God use disobedient servant? Why would God use such a 
ordinary message. Why would God save an extraordinarily evil, rebellious people by his mercy? His great mercy. For God so loves us that he sent his son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is his gift to us today. God is magnanimous. He gives greatly and graciously to people who do not deserve it. And we are the beneficiaries. And our hearts go today because our God is a great and merciful God. And he loves you today. For those today who have heard this message and have never turned to him, I want to tell you, destruction is coming your way. Wrath is coming your way. But there's a change of heart lurking around the corner. Will you believe today? Will you humble yourself and follow him? At the end of our service, we have a time of receiving the Lord's Supper. We're about to do that. And today, if you're not, if you've never put your faith like this in God, you need to skip that table. It is for those who have put their faith in him. And we receive the Lord's Supper, remembering what Christ has done for us. But I want you to go past. There'll be people standing on either side who will be willing to pray with you. And today, maybe you want to say, I've done that. I gave up. I heard the message and I believe and I want to turn to Jesus. It's not a magical thing they'll do with it. They just, we'll just hear your, hear your cry and encourage you and pray for you. But feel free to stop by and visit one of them on the way out. To let them know what's happened. Maybe you're a saint today. And you, your track record as of late has not been so good. I want to tell you there's a God here who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. And he's calling you back. Come on. I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. It's good news.